Good morning. How we doing? Good to see you today. Happy early 4th of July. It's not quite there, but it kind of is. So happy 4th of July. Uh, glad that you are uh, here with us this morning. As most of you know, we're in our series on um, the original, oh, 5th and 6th grade. You guys are out. So see you later. Have a good time. <laughs> They're all like waving in the back. <laughs> Most of you know we're in um, this series on our original uh, series title of the book of Revelation. And so uh, this week we're in part seven. Uh, we'll be looking at the church of uh, Philadelphia. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and uh, take them out. Uh, turn to Revelation uh, chapter uh, 3, and we are going to look at verses uh, 7 through uh, 13. And so let me just read uh, this portion of the text uh, for you before we get started uh, this morning. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key uh, of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet uh, you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Uh, behold, I will make uh, those of the synagogue of, uh, of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient uh, endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. And try those who dwell on the earth. And I am coming soon and hold fast for what you have. So that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Now I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, we have... Uh, studied about these seven uh, different churches and we have seen that they all have different uh, issues. They have different needs in different locations and yet uh, you can see some uh, amazing parallels to uh, the church today, even to the church that we call uh, New Creation Fellowship. And so let me give you a little background on uh, this church in Philadelphia. The city was founded about 150 years before Jesus and it was named uh, Philadelphia because an early a prominent leader at the time had been so uh, loyal to his brother that the people gave him this nickname brother lover. So, so the name is the combining of those two ideas, right? Brother and love. And they come together and we get the name Philadelphia. And then the city was 
sitting right at the crossroads of multiple cultures and the city was built to influence travelers who have come through the the crossroads of this these ideas of greek ideas and greek thought and this whole deal of alexander the great was to turn the whole known world into this greek culture and Philadelphia was one of those cities that they thought that strategically would carry the torch of this idea of Alexander uh, the Great. And so the Christians of this area uh, were in a minority for sure. Uh, compared to the Hellenists, the, the Greeks uh, of the time, that they faced ridicule because they were so much smaller in numbers. And so it would be understandable if they were like being persecuted from those outside of the church or, 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 you know, those that, that weren't Christians, but, but they were getting beat up not only from those people outside, but from also the people inside the church. And so the church in Philadelphia faced this open hostility from this group of People who consider themselves to be like of a higher level of what a Christian is. Right? These people held so tightly to the Jewish ceremony and law. They believed that they alone had access to the love of God. And so they put down all the other Christians who were in the city. And the city was located in this region where earthquakes were like happening all the time. You think California is bad? There's nothing until uh, compared to where uh, Philadelphia is. And so the whole city is destroyed in AD 17, had to be completely rebuilt. And it happened so much that every time there was this little tremor, people just started to run out of the buildings that they were in because the buildings were held up by these pillars, right? And and the pillar would begin to sway and the pillar would fall and the building would collapse and, and people would die. And so they were fearful of that. So every time there was like this little trim of people would just start running. And that becomes important later on in the text. So, so just a bit of context today as we get ready to move our way uh, through this portion of scripture this morning. So let's get started. Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program. You can follow along with me as we walk through uh, these verses. And so how to stay strong when you feel weak, which brings us to our first takeaway today. Takeaway number one, Jesus brings comfort in fresh doses. Right in verse uh, seven, Jesus gives some self-identification, right? We see the title of Christ. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These words of the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one opens. And so Jesus is giving us this introduction to set up what he wants to say to this church at Philadelphia that's feeling disempowered. They're feeling disenfranchised. And basically he's saying to them, what? You can trust me. And notice the words that he used to describe himself. First, he says he is holy. Right? All of heaven's host, Israel and the church ascribe praise to a holy God because the idea is, is that it sets him apart from everything else. 
Holiness is what God is. Holiness also comprises what? His plan for his people. We see him use, or we see this term holy used to describe Jesus all throughout scripture, right? Like at his birth, Luke 1, at his death, Acts 2, angels calling him holy, holy, holy in Revelation 6. And we see it all through the book, right? And, and it always comes in threes when in the book of Revelation, right? Because it's like the Trinity, right? Get that? Three. But then he adds the word true. I am holy and true, he says. But true means to, to be genuine, not having discrepancy between what he says and what he does. So, so Jesus is telling the church, he's going, look, I'm like the real deal here. And what I say, you can count on. And this is extremely important because Jesus is getting ready to make some pretty astounding promises and claims. So first he wants to establish this authority uh, or his authority with these people. One thing to notice here is that Jesus is talking to Christians, not to people that don't know him, right? This is not a group of people that don't believe in him. These were men and women who trusted in Christ for their eternal salvation. They were people who placed their hope in heaven, right? They, they looked to him for leadership and help in their daily lives. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking right now, why is he working so hard to establish his credentials, right? And I'm thinking like you're preaching to the choir here. And here's what, here's what I think. I think there are times in our lives as believers that don't we all need just a fresh dose of trust and comfort in Jesus? I know it's true in my life, right? I have like peaks and valleys in my faith in Christ. I have times when my level of trust is really high. And then, then I have times when what? It's not so great. And I think that's what's going on here at the Church of Philadelphia. They're feeling that they're at this valley and they're feeling weak and uncertain. And, and it's a small church that, that's potentially growing, but it seems like its influence is decreasing as it faces the culture of the day. The, the, the church is feeling a bit insignificant and, and overlooked. They're being told by these religious types that, you know what, Jesus doesn't even love you. So so right from the start, Jesus tells them, look, I'm still trustworthy, right? I'm still holy and true. And then he says, I'm the one who has the keys to the door, right? Refers back to Isaiah 22, where we're told about this king is going to select a servant. And that service is Eliakim. And he's going to give the keys to the palace to, to Eliakim. And, and they were called the keys of David. And everything related to the palace in that area went back to David. And so when Eliakim had the keys, he was given full administrative authority. And he would even carry around like this heavy key loop over his shoulder. So everybody could see that, that he had the power to grant or deny people's access to the king. Right? He alone provided that access. Jesus is saying here in Revelation 3, he's the one who has what? The key of David. 
Not only does he have the keys, he has what? Authority over the keys. All right, let's move on to takeaway number two, which is Jesus has total knowledge. Have you noticed the pattern as we've gone through these churches in, in, in the first part of the book of Revelation, right? Every church is addressed with phrases like, I know all about you. I know what you're facing. I see what you're doing. I know where, where you're living. I know your deeds. I mean, all of those kinds of phrases. So it's not like the church of the day would have to call heaven and get God's like voicemail to leave a message. Right, and hope that God gets it so he might be better informed about their needs and circumstances. Right? Have you ever wondered what the world would be like if, if we had to leave like a voicemail to communicate with God? Right? I, I think it sounds something like this. Thank you for calling my father's house. Right? Please select one for the following, or please select one of the following options. Right? Option, or press one for general request. Press two for thanksgiving. Press three for complaints. Press four for healing. Press five for rain. Press six just to say hi. Press seven for the answers to hard questions. Press zero to repeat this message. Right? Then what would happen if God uses all the excuses that we hear? Like, I'm sorry, like all the angels are helping other customers right now. Right? Please stay on the line. Your call is important to us. It'll be answered in the order that it was received. Right? I mean, can you imagine getting those kinds of answers when you call on God in prayer? Right? If you like to hear King David sing a song, press 5-5. Right? Right? For Lucifer, press 666 and your call will be forwarded. Right? Or, or maybe a little bit more sobering might be this office is closed. Please call again Monday after nine. Never call on Sunday. It's our day of rest. Right? Well, we don't have to do that. Why? Because Jesus knows before we call. The, the, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes Jesus is trying to communicate with us and we're the one that gives him the busy signal. We're the ones that put them on hold. It's never the other way around. Listen to this with the comfort that I think Jesus intended it when he says in verse 8, I know. I don't know about you, but those are some comforting. I mean, if Jesus was writing you a letter and said, I know, I know your works behold. He's like saying, I've seen what you've done. I know. That's got to be comforting for the church at Philadelphia. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And I know that that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Right? You talk about a lot of information packed into a short amount of space. That's it right there, right? Jesus has a lot to say right here. And what does he mean when he tells them he has set before you an open door? We'll get to that in a second. Before we get to that, look, uh, let's take a look at what he says about this church. He says, I know you have little power, right? You're you're a church that really can't open the door by yourself. You're you're a church that can't hold the door 
clothes even if you wanted to, right? You're a little power church. I, I kind of like church names, so I got on the internet this past week. Found, found some in, in, in the, the south, like uh, Muddy River Baptist Church. Love that, right? Little Flock Church actually is a name. And then, and then my personal favorite was Little Hope Church. <laughs> like, I thought we were supposed to have like a lot of hope at church. Right? Little Hope Church. So, so for the, the church at Philadelphia, I'm, I'm picturing like a, a shingle kind of blowing in the wind for their logo. And, and the name is like Little Power Church, right? Here's the thing. Let's not assume that that means ineffective. Right? Let's not assume this morning that it means that this church had a poor future. Well, let's remember that the church was small in comparison to the secular culture in which the church found itself in, but the church is sitting on unstable grounds and could tip over at any time, and they were powerless to stop it, and the culture seemed to be coming against them, and they felt weak to overcome it. But but in the context, Jesus is saying to them, I have done for you the thing that you cannot do for yourself. I have opened the door. And the obvious understanding here is that Jesus has allowed them access to God. We know in the Gospels that Jesus describes himself as the door on more than one occasion. Right? It's in him. It's through him. It's by him that we're rightly connected to God. And through Christ, the individual members of the congregation at Philadelphia were connected to God. And I kind of think there might be a double meaning here of the idea of this open door, which moves us to the next takeaway, number three, which is that Jesus can increase influence and give whatever opportunity he wants. I think there's something to be said here for the sovereignty of God. Right? Because Jesus can elevate, he can highlight, he can empower, he can utilize, he can bless, he can produce effectiveness in whoever he wants to. Right? Which is awesome news for us. It means that regardless of culture or society or opposition or that the odds might be against you, God can do things through you and me and us as a church that are unstoppable. Do you believe that today? Can, can, can I just personalize it for a moment? Jesus is saying, I'm the one that holds the key to our future. I'm the one who can open the right door and shut the wrong ones. I can open the door of new opportunities and new beginnings. I'm the one that can close the door on the things that need closing, like the old chapters in your life, the old memories, the old hurts, the old habits. The church at Philadelphia and our church today is challenged to have the right perspective on this whole thing. And regardless if the open door means just a way to God or if it means that your life, our church, is strategically positioned for ministry in this time, in this place, that God has given us a unique opportunity right now. Whatever it means, God is saying to us, I can make a way. And your future is held in my hands. Now I'm about you, but that's super encouraging. Because I'd rather my future be held in God's hands than mine. How about you? Notice Jesus commends the church 
uh, here in verse 8, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. What a challenge that is for our church today. Right? Will we be a people who will keep the word of God, not deny the name of Jesus? And really it boils down to what kind of ambassadors for Christ will we be? It's really the question. And then also take note here that there are no concerns for the church of Philadelphia, right? Only two out of the seven churches Jesus has no concerns for, right? Smyrna and Philadelphia are encouraged in that way. And though seemingly powerless, this church has proved herself very strong. Do you remember why the church was named Philadelphia? It was because one person was loyal to another person. It's the key kind of theme in the letter uh, to the church of Philadelphia. This church had been loyal to Jesus and Jesus himself says to them, you've kept my word, you've not denied my name. And so this door is now open for you and then he expresses more loyalty. And look at verse 10 this morning, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. A couple of things about this verse. First of all, it says that Jesus will keep us from what? The hour of trial. The, the, the Greek word from, for from is the word ek, which literally means out of or removal. He, he will take us out of or remove us from what? The hour and the trial. Right? The hour in the original language here is a definite article on both words. The hour, the trial. Right, Jesus also promises them this protection from the hour of the trial that's going to come on the whole world. And most Bible scholars see the hour of trial as this prophetic reference to the great tribulation, which will precede Jesus' earthly kingdom. And so Jesus is promising to keep these Christians from the hour of trial, right, this trial. That, that it's going to come upon those that dwell on the earth. And that phrase is used nine times in the book of Revelation. It speaks of those who are not saved. Right? Revelation 17.8 makes the term synonymous with the lost. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to the destruction. And the dwellers of the earth, on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. Right? So this trial is for unbelievers who are objects of God's wrath throughout Revelation. Right? Christians are different. Though we walk on this earth, our dwelling place is in heaven, right? We've been seated in the heavenly places in Jesus, Ephesians 2. We won't dwell on the earth. Our life is hidden in Christ, Colossians 3. So the big question is, is does this promise keep you from the hour of trial, implying an escape, right? We're talking about what? The rapture, right? Before the great tribulation. So so I, I'm just going to give you what I personally hold to. What I believe is that Jesus will come for his church before this time of great tribulation. And, and the protection that is promised from the very hour of trial is to the worldwide large-scale event predict, predicted that it's called the Great Tribulation in Matthew 24, right? And in Revelation 6, 8, 9, and 16. We'll get to that later. 
right? And then secondly, he says the patient endurance of verse 10, that actually is in the past tense. Showing that something um, that the Christians had already done before the hour of trial, which has not yet come upon uh, the world. The promise is a reward for past perseverance, not equipping to, per- to persevere, in, persevere uh, in the future. Remember, the ones tested by this final hour of trial are not primarily believers, but those who dwell on the earth. Though those whose home is this earth, who are not citizens of heaven, as Paul talks about in Philippians 3. Now, going back to verse 9, Jesus said, I behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. How's that for a church name? Want your church to be called that? Right? I think I'd rather be called the powerless church. I'll go with that one. Right? Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. And really the word there is for pretender, for posers, right? Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn uh, that I have loved you. So, so who is the synagogue of Satan crowd? Well, here in the text, they're called liars. The insinuation is uh, is that they were critics of Christianity saying that God doesn't love you like he loves us, right? With the language of synagogue and Jews, these people probably belong to this group known as the Judaizers. And they were these Jews, but, but Jesus said they were not like legit Jews because they misrepresented the whole thing. And they were like these quasi-believers in Jesus as the Messiah, but they tied their salvation to all the ceremonial stuff of the Old Testament, like the food laws and circumcision. We know that the Apostle Paul throughout his ministry was harassed by the Judaizers, right? So much so that, that, that he like writes a lot about it in scriptures, refuting their claims and instructing the church about the true nature of salvation. It's why Paul wrote things like Romans 3.20. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's why he wrote it. Ephesians 2.8.9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Uh, so none of us can boast about it. Right? Paul writes these verses in in direct uh, instruction against the Judaizers because they uh, were commonly referred to as the Jesus plus kind of theology, right? It's still around today in some circles. But but back then it was like Jesus plus the food rituals, right? And then you'll be saved. Jesus plus circumcision and, and then you'll be saved. Jesus plus a certain ceremony and, and then you'll be saved. And not only did they teach this stuff, they taught, uh, they taught it and it was like, like the only way that you could be loved by God. That's how they taught it. So if you didn't do it our way, right? Then, then you're out. So when Jesus says this to the church at Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut, to shut. That's gotta get under the skin of the Judaizers, right? Because it was exactly the opposite of what they believed and taught. They held that, that God promised to King David and his descendants that he, that he would love them exclusively. That the door was only open for them. 
But, but in fact, Jesus is affirming that all believers, both Jew and Gentile, Right, As long as you believed in Jesus as Lord and that he's our connection to God and he is the Messiah, the one who came to save us from our sins. Right, Really this verse is, is a cool verse. And what's beautiful about the church of Philadelphia is that, that they were pretty simple kind of church. Nothing, nothing flashy about the church here in Philadelphia. They were just what? Faithful. And I think they stand in stark contrast to a lot of churches that we see today, right? And if I were to put the categories of churches that we see today, I'd put them in like three categories. First, we have the what I would consider the bigger wild church, right? Everything has to sizzle. Got to have big events and, and all the stuff has to be spectacular, right? That's one type. Then you have the, the, the busier is better church, right? As long as there's a meeting to attend and activity to plan and a hoop to jump through, as long as the calendar's full, then, then church is going great, right? We should never make the mistake to think that activity means productivity. And then thirdly, there's just the simple plan church. And I, and I think the, the Christians at, at Philadelphia exemplified this kind of church. There are a church where they're just believers that know God and, and they study his word with diligence and they, they look at their lives and they try to figure out ways to live out the teachings of the Bible. They serve each other in ministry They and they see each day as just an opportunity to be faithful to Jesus. And Jesus gives us a simple formula for this in Matthew 7, right? person who hears and does the words of Jesus is like a person who builds his house securely on the rock. And so when the wind blows and the rain falls and the creek don't rise and all that stuff, right? The house would stand, right? It's a simple plan. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. It's okay to be the, the wild church. It's okay to be the sizzling church, the exciting church. That's okay. It's okay to be big, medium, or small church it's okay to be a growing church all of those things are great as long as what we're an obedient church that's the key and so was the church here at at philadelphia they were an obedient church verses 11 and 12 reflect uh, a call to a continued perseverance it says i am coming soon hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Uh, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never say he shall go out of it. And I'll write uh, on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. <clears throat> and the new uh, Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. That's really confusing. Right, the, the the church is on the right track, and Jesus tells them what He wants them to do. He says, "Behold, I'm coming quickly." And so, first, the church of Philadelphia must remember that Jesus is coming quickly, and the expression "quickly" is to be understood as something which is sudden and and unexpected, not necessarily immediate. Right? John Wolford points that out in his commentary on, on the Book of Revelation. And then he says to hold fast to what you have. And the church must not depart from its solid foundation, which would only happen um, to, to stay on that foundation as they hold fast to what they have. So, so why do you do that? So that no one may take your crown. Right? If they fail to hold fast, their crown might be given to another. And the idea here is that it's not stolen, it's, it's given. 
And this is not a crown of royalty given because of who you're born to. Now, this is a crown of victory. And Jesus encourages his saints to finish the course with victory, right? Play the second half uh, as well as you played the first half uh, of the game, right? And the Christians at Philadelphia needed encouragement to stay the course. And we need that encouragement as well, don't we? Because if truth be known, we, we, when the going gets tough, some people bail, right? I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. I read about this guy who wrote Dear Abby. He said, Dear Abby, I joined the Navy to see the world. Well, I've seen it. Now, how do I get out? <laughs> I think some people join the church to see what it's all about. And when, the, when, when it gets tough, they, they what? They look for a way out. Jesus calls the church to persevere, to be consistent in perseverance. And, and so how to be consistent? Well, let me define it for us. I think consistency is basically positive dependability. That, that's how we define consistency, right? A core that won't Start is consistent, but it's not positive and it's not dependable. Right? Let's talk about positive dependability and and takeaway number four. How can we live our faith with positive dependability? Well, the first way is to take notice. Paul Paul gives this warning to the Christians in in, in, uh, 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 1 Corinthians 10. So people who think they are standing firmly should be careful that they don't fall. Right? So you take notice. Consistency begins with careful living. Pride says I'll never fall. Humility says I'll watch my step. Right? I remember years ago, Dr. James Dobson telling the story about how he keeps the, this picture to remind him of this truth. It's a picture of this elegantly dressed woman who is holding a cup of coffee and she's like, I got like her little finger out, right? And, and, and and, you know, her face is just oozing of confidence. And unfortunately for this gal, she doesn't know that her slip has fallen down around her ankles. And the caption reads, confidence is what you have before you understand the situation. <laughs> right? Secondly, we should take responsibility. Uh, the Christians in Philadelphia were strong believers in, in terms of their faithfulness. They, they weren't perfect. There were times when they were off track. We all stumble. We all fall. And the, and the key is not the, to start the, the blame game here, right? You don't blame your circumstances or family or whatever. You just admit it, right? I blew it. And then you ask Jesus to cleanse you and you help and for help to, to carry on. And I think the goal is to keep our Christian lives between these sideboards and keep it moving forward. And with this point of taking responsibility, I have to add to be patient as well. Right? Have you ever noticed that failure and sin happen in our lives with an amazing amount of regularity? Be patient on the road to maturity. Maturity in our walk with Christ takes time. And I know we live in this in this culture that everything happens so quickly. But spiritual maturity doesn't work that way. Paul said this to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 3, verse 13. And to the rest of you, I say, dear brothers, never uh, be tired of doing right. Right? Be steady and faithful and move forward with consistency. 
Because it is possible to get tired of doing the right thing. Right? Trust me. You, you can get tired of coming to church. You can get tired of telling the truth. You can get tired of resisting temptation. Right? You feel like giving up and giving in. But the Apostle Paul encourages us never to get tired of doing the right thing. Right? In verse 11 of, of Revelation 3, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast. Right? We need to take some responsibility to hold fast. And then number three, we take heart. It's the promise of verse 12. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Remember I talked about the earthquakes and that, that knocked down the pillars and, and everybody would run outside and Jesus says, what? I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not have to go out from the temple anymore. They, they understood what he was talking about. And he's talking about stability and strength and prominence and honor. And he says, I will write them uh, on on him the name of my God and the name of uh, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and on my own new name. And the church of Philadelphia, he wrote that because I think the church of Philadelphia had some history of name changes. Like in AD 17 when the earthquake wiped out the whole place, Tiberius Caesar gave some money and some tax incentives for people to rebuild their city. So as an expression of thanks, what do you think the city fathers do? I know. Let's change our name from Philadelphia. Now we're going to be called the Neo-Caesareans, right? The city of the new Caesar. Well, that name lasted just a short little time. Right? They got over that one. They revert back to Philadelphia. And Jesus says, my, my God's name will be on you. Right? That's not going to change. My, my name will be on you and it's going to be a forever kind of thing. It's kind of like when my kids were in school, right? They would carry around my last name. Now, not like actually do it, but right? They had my last name. And when I would go to the school and I would see them, right? People would know, like, that's my kid. Right? They carried my last name. Okay, can you just see when Jesus comes? Right? His eyes like sweeping the expanse of the planet and he points to, to you and says, you're mine. And then, and then he points to you and he goes, you're mine. And he goes, and that's mine. And that one. And that one. And that one. Take heart. That message must have been so encouraging to the church at Philadelphia. Because they, over the centuries, when when many churches had failed and faded away, these Christians, without any power, withstood massive Turkish assaults. The vast Muslim wave that swept over the countries and the region during the 14th century. This church stood alone, freestanding, self-governing, what? Holding fast. Holding fast. I, like, like, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Maybe be this year, maybe five years, ten years, fifty, a hundred. I got no idea. But, but whenever it is, may the same be said about New Creation Fellowship that we what? Held fast. That we stood alone. Withstood the opposition. Giving all the glory and the honor to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. 
Thank you for the constant comfort and encouragement that we find in the pages of Scripture. And God, may we, New Creation Fellowship, may this local body of believers be found faithful. May we be able to hold fast until you come again. And God, we pray. Come again. Come again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.